If you would take your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 27 first. Matthew chapter 27. So this morning we will um, look at these significant pictures connected with the cross and the responses to the cross and the resurrection and look at these in light of Scripture, in light of our own day and our own lives and bring application of those things um, to us. I was reading this week and I uh, found a story that I'd collected a, a number of years ago. It was found in Men of Integrity magazine and it was written by a guy named Phil Calloway. And he, he wrote these words. He said, One sleepy Sunday afternoon, when my son was five years old, we drove past a cemetery together. He looked out the window, the sun did, and noticed a large pile of dirt beside a newly excavated grave. And he pointed out the window and said, Look, Dad, one of them got out. And I laugh, but every time I pass a graveyard, he writes, I'm reminded of the one who got out. And I want to talk about that reality today, and I want to remind you and I of the one who got out and never went back in. He is the one who reigns. He is the one who has conquered the grave. And what an incredible, glorious reality this is for us. So we will look today, as I said, um, at some of the responses to the cross. We will look today at some of the responses to the resurrection. And they are no different today than they were 2,000 years ago. And I will ask, as we go through our time today, a number of different questions related to these so that each of us would examine our heart and our lives. And we're going to go back and forth. We'll spend the first section reading out of Matthew, and then we will go uh, to John, and then I think we'll get back to Matthew and we'll finish, finish things up in um, the book of Mark. But if you would, look with me in Matthew chapter 27, verse 41 through 43. Matthew 27, 41 through 43. And then we'll read 62 through 66. So this is what Matthew writes for us in Matthew 27, 41. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot come down from the cross. And so there was mocking that took place there. There was also mocking that took place as well um, during his trials, when they were um, just just seeing him and, and mocking different things about him, look look also in matthew twenty seven twenty seven so it says then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor 's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before them, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they spit on him. Now we know from the scripture that there is, there is this reality that the religious leaders saw Jesus as a grave threat to everything that they believed in and everything um, that they had set up and established for themselves. And so the first response I, I want to remind you and I of today that we still see today that took place 2,000 years ago is connected with the religious leaders. And so as Jesus is on the cross, they are mocking him. The soldiers are mocking him. At the trials, they are, they are bringing in witnesses and false witnesses. And all of this takes place is because they saw Jesus as a great threat to him, And there's been this reality growing inside of them is what are they going to do about this one who has such a great following? How do they get him out of the equation so that they become the focus once again? And I want to just remind you and I today of this, that Jesus will always be seen as a threat to those who have a false understanding of who he is. And that's partly why people are angry at him, is because they don't really know truly who he is, that he is full of, of grace, he is full of love, he is full of such mercy. And so they saw Jesus as a threat 
because they had a false understanding of who he is. And he had been calling them for three years, calling them from their lifeless faith and calling them to a place of life connected deeply and intimately with him. But sadly, this calling from Jesus and this calling out that he did of them never forced them or never moved them to a point where they examined their hearts. They simply did not want what Jesus had to offer. And for many of us who are listening today, if you think Jesus is a threat to your way of life, you will just be, you will be exactly like the religious leaders. You will do whatever you can do to keep him away from hearing anything about him, and you will push him away. You will do things like this. You will persecute his name. You will ignore him. You will fight with him. You will argue with him. You will try to poke holes and debunk the Bible. And you will ridicule the local church and stay away. And I just want to say to you, if that is anybody listening and watching today, that Jesus, yes, is a threat to your life. But the threat to your life is not that he would rob your life and keep you from knowing the fullness of life. The threat he has to your current life is so that you would leave that life and you would come to know the incredible joy of what it means to be in a relationship with him. So for those of you who may be angry today and those of you who see him as a threat to to rob or steal something from your life and to keep you from enjoying life, I would just say to you, just for a moment, consider the cross. Because this story of the cross and Him coming to die for people is not one that says He wants to take something from our lives. It is evidence that He wants to give. And what He wants to give is He wants to give Himself. And He wants to give Himself in such a beautiful way and to extend His love to us. The cross is a symbol of love. But there are some people still today, as it was 2,000 years ago, who see him as a threat. Let's look at the second reality of this. There are those who simply do not understand what is taking place, and they just don't get it. Look with me again in Matthew chapter 27, and look with me in verse 39. So we started reading this a while ago. Let's read it in depth. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And verse 44 says of Matthew 27, And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Let me just read you what Luke says about this. In Luke 23, 35, Luke writes, And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And one of the criminals, in verse 39 of Luke 23, who were hanged, railed at him. It says, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Every response is the same. Come down from the cross and we will believe in you. This will be evidence that if you can save yourself, that you truly are the Son of God. And I just want to remind you and I today, there are people who still today do not understand the message of the cross, the glory of the cross, the love of the cross. They simply do not get it. They On this day that we read in the text, they do not realize what is happening. For if they did, they would not be saying, save yourself from the cross. They would be saying, stay on the cross. Save me, save us, save 
the world. And the one who is behind all of this mocking and this ridicule and this language of come down from the cross is the author of confusion himself, Satan. But you see, Jesus did not come to save himself from the cross. He came to lay his life down and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he had shown the entire time of his life while he was here on earth by the evidence of the things that he did exactly who he was. He was indeed the Son of God. And if he could come down from the cross, they said, this will prove you are the Son of God. But actually, here's the truth of the matter. It was his staying on the cross that proved who he is. They just did not get it. Remember these words in the Garden of Gethsemane? This is Matthew chapter 26, 52. This is when Judas has come. There's been the betrayal of the kiss. And Peter has taken out a sword and and he's swinging it around. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot, listen to what Jesus says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me, send me, send to me His Son more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Let me tell you how many twelve legions of soldiers are, let me tell you how many 12 legions of angels are. 72,000. In case you didn't hear that, let me give you the number again. 72,000. In the Old Testament, there's this powerful story where one angel of God killed 185,000 Assyrian warriors. Can you imagine what 72,000 angels could have done for Jesus. But see, he didn't come to be rescued from going to the cross. He came to go to the cross. He did not need rescuing from his circumstances. He had to embrace them. And because he embraced them, you and I have great hope today. So there are those who see Jesus as a threat. There are those who don't get it, who say, come down and that will give evidence And the great evidence that he is who he is, is that he stayed on the cross. You know, 2,000 years ago, we love the cross today. We've got it on our Bibles. We have it all over our walls. We've got it all over the the church here. We've got one here. Um, And and we we love the cross. But 2,000 years ago, you didn't decorate your home with a cross. It was a symbol of shame, criminals, the nakedness of it. It was not... A, a matter to celebrate. And Jesus did not avoid, run from going to the cross. And still today, even the beautiful glory of it, people do not understand. Go with me now to Matthew chapter 28. And let's talk about the next group in response. And this one is to the resurrection. Jesus has been in the tomb. This is Sunday morning. And let's talk about those whose response to the cross is they are unchanged. Now, I want to ask you to go back with me just for a moment. I don't know what it's like in your day. I don't don't really know what it's like today um, with students. But I remember back in the day at the end of the school year, we would get our annuals. We would get the thing that had all the pictures of everything. And then there would be a day where you would gather in the gym and, and you would start writing things. Uh, in the annual to people that you were your friends. And I remember looking back several years ago that one of the things that was just littered all through every annual I ever got, I guess somewhere along the way, somebody started writing these things and we just adopted them as we need to continue to say them. And this is what the majority of things would say. You stay sweet and never change. Isn't that so beautiful and moving? It also said, like, to the greatest guy in the world... Don't ever change. Now, some people look at the resurrection and some people see the reality of it and they're just unmoved by it. Let's look at those 
in the text. Matthew 28, verse 2. And behold, this is in the garden where his tomb is. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Now watch what happens in verse 4. And for fear of him, this angel came down, earthquake, roll away the stone, bright clothing. For fear of him, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. Look at verse 11 now of Matthew 28. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And listen what they did. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now just ponder with this reality with me just for a moment. Can you imagine being outside the tomb of the Son of God? He's been in there since late Friday afternoon. And now an angel comes down. The ground shakes. The stone is rolled away. And you literally see this. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Well, these guards, these Roman guards, saw this reality. Will it change them? What effect will it have on the direction of their lives? Will they believe? No, they will not believe. They will take the money, they will be bought off, and they will go on their way. They would rather have hush money than leave their life of sin for a life with Jesus. And so instead of a life with Christ, they would rather live and tell a lie to everyone around them when they know by experience and they know as an eyewitness exactly what they saw. Verse 4 tells us again, For fear of him the guards trembled, and they became like dead men. It is, listen church, it is not enough to simply be in awe and shake at spiritual things, for if it was, the Roman guards in the garden would be forever changed. And it is that way still today. People are around God moving, God speaking, and they're just unchanged by it. They're just not moved by anything. And sometimes I wonder often, and I just wonder, what will it take for some of us to leave doubt behind when the truth is so obviously clear before us? So what about some of us this morning, this 2020 Easter Sunday morning? Are we willing to move past our indifference to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus? Don't stay changed. Come, O sinner. Come to the one who came to die for you. Let's look at the fourth response. And now we're going to go to John. Let's go to John's Gospel chapter 20. I love this part, um, the beauty of it. There's a little bit of humor connected with it. In John chapter 20, here's, here's a response that we will see today, and it's the response of a lost love, a loss of connection, a loss of, 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 of being united with Jesus and walking with Jesus, and that is changed for two men that we will see. All right, let's look. John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which we believe is John, the apostle, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So this stirs something in them. And so verse 3 says, So Peter went out 
with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Now this piece of responding to the resurrection reveals to us two men who were in the inner circle with Jesus and how they responded to the initial news that the stone had been rolled away and that Jesus was indeed alive. And so John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, the news gets back that Jesus is alive. And so verse 3, Peter and John, they take off immediately, revealing that they've been hiding for a couple of days now. And this hiding and this fear of what might happen to them, just watch this, dissipates, is erased, is gone as the news comes to them that Jesus is alive. This is what good news will do. The good news of Jesus conquering sin, conquering death, it will erase our fear. So these two men who are in hiding, fearful, are running through the streets of Jerusalem, running to the tomb. Now, they got to experience something that you and I have never experienced. They walk literally with Jesus in the flesh. We walk by faith, not by sight, and not by touch like they did. And so, so for them, all they have known is is. Jesus as God on the ground. Jesus as God in the flesh. And this, this reality that He's alive now has moved them to run through the streets. The events of the last several, several days have crushed them. It has literally crushed them. And they cannot control the impulse of their heart to run through the streets to see if this is actually true. And I thought of a question, and it's this one. When was the last time any of us, maybe a time in our life where we lost our first love with Christ and our love for the church and love for His Word and love for the kingdom, that we did something unusual to get it restored. Here we have two grown men hiding in fear, now running to the tomb. They've lost something. That has caused deep pain in their heart. And they are running to find it again. Maybe that's you today. Maybe today spiritually you need to to run through the streets of Collin County. Run through the streets of your life. And to come back home to Jesus. And to get that connection and that relationship back again. So John gets there first. And I wonder, John wrote this, you know, and... And through the years, was there a little bit of bragging uh, between them that John was the faster one uh, than Peter? But John gets there first, but John doesn't peer in. Peter just barrels in inside the tomb. He's not worried about being ceremonial clean because if you were to go into a tomb and touch a dead body or anything like that, that 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 was not something that you were to do as a Jew. But the news of Jesus being alive was greater than any kind of rule that he was to follow. And so Peter just goes inside. And I love the beauty of verse 8. John steps in after Peter's in, and he sees and believes. Listen, church. John, in that moment, did not need a big explanation to be convinced. And I wonder if some of us today are looking for some, some huge explanation that gives this great evidence that Jesus is alive. And there are some of those. But for John that day, it was just a simple one. He was not inside the tomb. Do you and I have a love for Christ that has been shattered? You see, these two guys had lost love, and Peter really 
has had a hard couple of days. He's the one who denied the Lord. And if your love for Jesus has been shattered by whatever it is, I want to say to you today, the message and response to a lost love for Christ is that it can be restored. You see, Peter has denied the Lord three times, and there's a little glimmer of hope. And I just wonder, as he's running through the streets, if this is running through his mind. Let's look now in John chapter 20, verse 11. Let's see the fifth response. John 20, verse 11. Mary Magdalene must have followed them back after she gave the news. And this is what John 20, verse 11 and following says. But Mary stood outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Just hear the tenderness and the love that Mary has for Jesus. And verse 16 says, And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. Can you imagine these words and and being able to communicate this? I have seen the Lord. And then she tells the things that he said to her. Let's just talk about this scene just for a moment. Here's the fifth response that needs to take place. This is a critical one. We need to turn and see the Lord. We need to turn and see the Lord. Verse 10 of John 20 says that Peter and John have gone back to their homes. Mary arrives and it says that she is stooping to see inside the tomb. I think that's such a beautiful picture. So beautiful. She's leaning in, wanting to see inside, wanting to see the reality of all of this. And as she peers inside, she sees two angels, one at the feet where Jesus, or sitting at where the feet of Jesus were, and one sitting at the head where Jesus had been resting since late Friday. And here's the reality sometimes in our lives, spiritually. Sometimes there is a pain in life where we just can't see things clearly. She can't see that, hello, two angels sitting there. That doesn't seem to move her. She is so distraught over the reality that her Lord is not there and she doesn't know what to do in the moment. And John 20 verse 13 um, clearly communicates she does not believe in that moment. She thinks now he's been taken and his body is still dead and it's laying somewhere else. It is not in her mind that he's walking around and he's about to talk to her. He is laying somewhere else. And here's the reality for us today. And it's this. Maybe for some of us, we are looking for Jesus in the wrong place. He is not in the grave anymore. He has conquered the grave. He has ascended. He is seated at the right hand of His Father, ever interceding for us. But now in the text, He is alive. He is free. He is not dead. And finally, she turns and looks and thinks Jesus is a gardener. She's looking in the right direction. She's looking at the right person, but she has lost her eyes of faith in that moment. Faith allows us to see. 
And sometimes it's hard to see without faith in the moment of the reality. So Jesus speaks to her and he says, Mary, she recognizes the voice and the power of his words causes her to turn and to look at him and to see him and to know this is the risen Lord. But I want to remind you and I today, too much staring and looking in a place where He is not will keep you and I from seeing that He is standing near us. He is there. See, without faith's eyes, He will just be a gardener. He would just be a great teacher. He would just be a man who did great things a couple of thousand years ago. We'll never see Him as the risen Lord. And it is time, church. Maybe it's time for someone watching today for you to turn, not from where he was and where he is not, but to turn and to see that he is alive, that he is present, that he is in your house. He is near to you, calling you and I to faith. See, the fifth response to the resurrection is to turn from where he used to be turn from that looking for him in the wrong places and to turn and see the risen lord let's look now in john chapter 20 verse 24 so later that night jesus shows up with the apostles and he reveals himself um, to them but there's a guy who's not there and his name is thomas and he's not there on the night of the resurrection. And so let's look at the text. And I want to talk about this response to the resurrection. About those who doubt and those who are wounded. And have a wound that is painful spiritually. John 20 verse 24. And let's read through 29. So again, Jesus has already appeared to them. This is going to be later. Um, but, but they're going to tell Thomas. What happened? Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So that's Thomas. He's not there when Jesus shows up. Everybody communicates to him. The Lord was here. We talked to him. He was present. Well, I, I don't believe you. I know we've been doing life together with him for several years now, but, but I, I don't believe you. i got to see it and touch it for myself. And eight days go by. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the, door, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I want to talk about Thomas just for a moment. I think Thomas is a deeply passionate man. When they're getting ready to go to Jerusalem, it's clear that the religious leaders are wanting to kill Jesus, and they've had some issues. And Thomas, as Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem. Thomas was willing to go and even literally says, let's go with him and let's die. He was, he's a passionate man. This is a man who was willing to give his life knowing what would take place. He loved Jesus. And then John 20, 19 through 23, he's not present when Jesus showed up the first time, but then he's present the next time. And here's, here's what I want to just lay out for us about Thomas that I think is important for us. I think Thomas's heart has sunk over a couple of days. And I've thought of him often during, during the Easter season and Easter time because I, I believe when the news got back that Jesus was gone, that he was alive, I, 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 he, he leaves for some reason 
this community of these guys that he's with, and he, he steps away when the women come back and say he is alive. It, it's almost as if it's too much for him to take in. Maybe he can't take the news. Maybe the, the gloom of the weekend, the thought of no more sermons, no more ministry, no more healing, no more walking with him, and the news of his, of his he's alive now, and, and all of it is just too much for him. And so he steps out and he's gone when Jesus comes into the room. For whatever the reason is, he leaves and he is the picture and he becomes the picture of what it looks like to be a wounded believer. This is what wounded believers do. They step away and they miss the presence of Jesus in community when he comes. And the disappointment and the pain Sometimes it's so great, and it must have been for Thomas, that he has stepped away from the safety of the community because he doesn't want to hurt anymore. How about you? Are you like Thomas today? Has there been a spiritual hurt in your life where you have stepped away from connecting with Christians and you are isolated, and yet you're missing out because you're gone because of this this? This thing that has happened in your life and you're missing out on the joy of being present in community with people who love Jesus. And John 20 verse 26 says, eight days later, he had to wait eight days. Listen, church, don't let eight days keep you from believing. Don't let eight days go by. Don't let another eight hours go by. Don't miss out and allow the wound, because you do love Jesus, but allow the wound of of whatever the case may be to keep you away any more. And maybe today would be a day that you responded once again to say this, you are my Lord and you are my God. Maybe today would be the day that we would let go of this hurt and this pain and come back into community, to come back to restoration, because that can be established in Christ. You know, I was thinking about some of the apostles. We just don't know much about many of them. We don't know much about Thomas. We get two brief glimpses. They're only in the Gospel of John about him, and and we don't know much about them after after the resurrection and after Jesus ascends, we, we know about some of them, but for most of them, we don't know much. The Bible doesn't communicate much about them. And why is that? And here's the reason why. They were not the point. They were to never be the point. Jesus is the point. He's the one who died. He's the one who rose. And followers fade in the light of the glory of King Jesus. If you're hurt today, come back. Come back. Thomas is that example. He missed out and he waited and he, he, he wanted proof. I would just say, take the risk and come back to Jesus. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Just a couple more. Matthew 28. Here's the next response to the resurrection, and it's one of worship. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there's a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Let me give you some news. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, and come. The angel invites him, Come see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. Now watch this. I love this. Verse 8. 
So they departed quickly with this just excited hearts about what had happened. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy to rant, to run and tell his disciples. And I love what Jesus does here. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Interesting thing to say. Greetings. And they came up. Look what they did. And they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Here's what I want you to do. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Let me just touch on a couple of things here that are really important before we look at our last point. Jesus meets us where we are always. He'll come, He'll reveal Himself, He will call us to faith. He's not asking us to clean ourselves up. And then we come, Jesus comes, and He does the cleaning. But in this context here, they are running to communicate news, and He meets them. He meets them. And listen, He meets us in our leisure. He meets us in our running. He meets us in our pain. He meets us in our times of shelter and place. Wherever we are, He meets us right where we are. And He speaks to those whose hearts are hungry for them. And He speaks these words, greetings. And it's almost as if He's saying, I told you, I told you I was coming alive. And He greets them. And because He died and because He has now risen, He has made the way for you and I to draw Near And they came up, Matthew 28, 9 says, and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Can you see the beauty of that picture? Two women running away to communicate to Jesus' disciples. And he meets them where they are as they're running. He greets them and they worship. What a powerful moment. Of them worshiping the risen Lord. Now let me just say this for a moment. I can't wait for the millennial kingdom. I believe there's a true millennial kingdom. Where God will restore things in the future. And it's not. What I'm about to tell you is not why I believe it. But I do believe it because I think the scripture teaches it. But there's an aspect of the millennial kingdom. That I'm going to get to experience something that I can't hear. I love the animal, the animals, animal. I love the king of the beast. I love the lion. And I love to go to the zoo. My favorite part of the zoo is to always go to the lion enclosure. And there's a part of my heart always that wants to crawl in. I won't do it, but I want to crawl in. And I want to hug a lion. I want to, I want to, I want to hug a lion. I want to feel that mane. I want to, I want to put my face against the face of the lion, and I believe in the millennial kingdom, we're going to get to do that. But I, I just have, I, I long for that to happen here. I know it cannot happen here, but here's the point that I want to say this morning Jesus is not that way. He's not in some enclosure, He's not in some tomb, He's not on display to observe. But on the day of days, these two women draw near. And they embrace Him. And they worship Him. And so the question comes for us in this. Will we be observers of worship? Or will we be those who participate and worship Him? Let's close with this one. Go to Luke chapter 22 with me for a moment. I want to remind us of the brokenness of Peter I think the last response to the resurrection that I want us to see this morning is the resurrection offers for us the healing of the broken. Luke chapter 22, 54. And let's see, this is about Peter, and let's see Peter's brokenness when his heart is broken. Then they seized him and led him away. 22, Luke twenty-two fifty-four, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following 
at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You you were also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Now watch this. And immediately... While he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, if that's not powerful enough that Jesus said, hey, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. There's a real moment with Peter and Jesus. Look at Luke twenty-two sixty-one, And the Lord turned right as he is denying and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And these staggering words in verse 62. And he went out and he wept bitterly. See, Peter in that moment chose self-preservation over loving the Savior. And I think if many of us will be honest, we have done that in our lives as well. At times for us, I I think for Peter it was definitely... Hearing the rooster broke his heart, but I think the thing that really broke his heart was when he looked at Jesus' face when everything that Jesus said was going to come true. You see, at times it's not our sin that causes the most pain, but it's in seeing the Savior that we have sinned against. And looking at Jesus in that moment must have broken his heart. In the Greek, and in Luke, in Luke twenty two sixty two, where it says Peter went out and he wept bitterly, that Greek word means violently. It's a picture of screaming, beating the ground, brokenhearted in a moment where you wonder, I am never going to be able to move beyond this moment. I will be stuck in this moment forever and ever. This is what I'm going to be known by. And Peter felt it. He felt his betrayal of Jesus and the pain was incredible. Let's close with this. Go to Mark chapter 16 now. Mark 16. Let's start in verse 4. Same story. Women have gone. Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, Mark 16, 4. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was here. He has risen. He is, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now listen to verse 7. Incredibly important. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Now let's just close with this thought. Because I think it's the beauty of what we are celebrating today. Jesus came and he died for us. Here's Peter. He's, he's been chosen by Jesus to walk with Jesus for a little over three years. And Peter often got his life in trouble with his mouth, but, but Peter has, has had this great love for Jesus. And now at the end, when Jesus needs him in the garden, what does Peter do? He falls asleep. What does Peter do? He makes these bold predictions. Lord, I will, I will stand with you. I will die with you. And Jesus says, no, you're actually going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows. And then the reality is that happens. He's out in the streets of Jerusalem. He is banging the ground. He 
He is brokenhearted. And I can guarantee you the text here, the beauty of verse 7 that says this, Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Why the and Peter? I think Peter had already written himself off. I think that Peter had already convinced himself, I have done something that I can never return from. I, I am forever going to be marked by this. I cannot come back from this. But watch this. The angel of God and the message from the Lord through the angel wanted Peter to know this. You are still included. And Peter may have already checked out from everyone and everything, but he is still invited and he is still included. And the angel tells them, go and make sure that Peter knows. Listen to this. Make sure that Peter knows it's not over. And if that's you today, there's a personal address from Christ Himself to say this to you and I, come back. You can be included in the family. I'm not keeping you away. You have kept yourself away. There's a personal gift that He wants to give you. It's addressed, a personal address to you to return. And the gift He wants to give you is grace and restoration. Grace and restoration. And it comes offered because it's personal love from Christ Himself to you and I. That's what the cross is all about. And when this happens, there's a transformation and a restoration that is amazing. Do you remember what we said earlier in John chapter 20? John went inside the tomb and he saw and he believed. Let's make Easter 2020 with all of its weird things connected with it. Worshiping in our homes, not being together. Let's make this year be a pivotal one where we don't have to become convinced by a bunch of stuff. We just see it in the text, in the stories by the eyewitnesses and we believe it. No wavering of doubt with His children. Christ has risen. Let's pray.